G'day guys, just wanted to give you a brief heads up. At some point during the recording of this episode, uh, I experienced a couple of glitches with my microphone, and that led to some parts of my audio kind of skipping, and uh, as a result I had to cut out a few parts of this episode so that it wasn't extremely painful to listen to, because Jeremy's track was completely fine, and mine just kind of was a lot shorter, so um, I did my best to edit it together, hopefully it's not too distracting, I think there is a point where maybe 30-45 seconds is cut out, so I'll just leave that up to your imagination as to what is said during that time, and I've put in a little TV static noise just to indicate that. I think it actually happens halfway through a point, so that's really fun. Also want to say thank you for everyone for coming back because we've had a, uh, a week or two where we haven't been able to have this episode out. Um, if you want to go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you like the show or just tell someone about it or let us know what you don't like about the show, you can do that on all the social medias. You know where to find us. That'd be great. Okay, hope you enjoyed the episode. This is Scripture Read Badly. A podcast where two grown-up pastor's kids discuss the stories of the Bible in chronological order. Attempting to avoid heresy and generally having a good time. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Ryan. Sit back and rejoice. Today's verse comes from Numbers, chapter 20, verse 20. But he said... You shall not pass through. And Edom came against them with a large army and with a strong force. Here we have scriptural evidence that the way to deny somebody passage through your front lawn is to come against them with an army. My name is Ryan. Welcome to Scripture Read Badly. And I'm Jeremy. And you can also read that verse meaning that you should throw a ton of cheese at them. Yes. But it has to be Dutch. Mm-hmm. And now we'll begin the show with a little thing we like to call Tell Us What This Chapter Is About in Less Than Five Seconds. And it's Ryan's turn, so I'm going to press the button when you're ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, and go. Miriam dies, people are thirsty, Moses is disobedient, Edom is dumb, and Aaron dies. Oh, Oh, Edom is dumb. And Aaron definitely dies. Yep. That was a good attempt. For five seconds on the chapter we're doing. Thanks. Um, and we begin with the death of someone's sister. Mm-hmm. Which is a little sad. It's not mine, so I'm not that it's sad. It's not mine. It's not super sad. I never met her. But <laughs> Miriam dies, and Miriam seems to be quite important to the story, but her death is only one verse long, whereas later in this chapter, someone else's death is quite long. Mm-hmm. Almost eight verses. I wonder if that means anything. Ooh, uh, sexism, maybe? But they all... Misogynist? Pardon? Oh, very much misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, what does that word mean? Is I that think, a good word? No, I, I think it's men being valued more than women. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's definitely an okay word. Yep. Uh, just a terrible concept. Yeah. And then we go into the verse and we speak of... They are... They enter the wilderness of Zin. Mm. And so you can very much imagine walking into the desert of the Australian outback. 
There's not much water around. Yep. You've got a million or so people needing water. And God has taken care of them up until this point. I bet the sand is not as red, though. Oh, definitely not. Don't imagine that. Mm -hmm. Imagine different sand and no big rocks. Or maybe big rocks. Should Google that. And, of course, what always seems to happen, the people begin whinging and quarreling with Moses as if to say... Why didn't we stay in Egypt? Ugh. Why did we come up here just to die in the wilderness Classic. when we could have gotten grain or figs or vines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink? Or fig newtons. This is off the back. What? Or fig newtons. I love fig newtons. Yesterday I had this amazing Brazilian dessert that's made of like condensed milk and strawberry and coconut and it was so delicious whoa that does but they sound did delicious. not have any of these things because they refused to go into the promised land and now they're complaining about the fact that they refused to go into the promised land yeah. come on yeah. Israelites but furthermore they are blaming Moses for it again grumbling against Moses and Aaron and God and all that they don't have any water to drink they do you think they had something like iron brew or uh, maybe a Vegemite latte or something? Something gross. Ooh, Vegemite lattes. That <laughs> sounds disgusting. <laughs> From what I've heard, they are. Yep. Is that legitimately coffee and milk with Vegemite in it? I think so. Why have Newcastle did a video about it back when Vegemite chocolate was briefly a thing? Oh, that is so gross. Yeah. Yeah. But... Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So God definitely wants to speak into this. For a couple of old blokes, for a couple of old blokes, they sure do a lot of falling down. Surely they should be concerned about that. They definitely have some good knee calluses. Yes, you would hope so. And the Lord says, "Take the staff." And tell the rock before your eyes to yield its water. As and I'm in just Dwayne Johnson? That. Uh, yes. <laughs> but tell Dwayne the Rock Johnson to yield its water. Do not hit the rock. <laughs> Do not shake the rock. Do not give the rock something. Just tell the rock to yield its water. Mm-hmm. And then the water will be brought out and the congregation can drink. And their cattle, apparently. So, what does Moses do instead of talking to Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Well, he hits him, obviously. Come because on, why the wouldn't you? But he hits him twice because the first time he probably didn't do anything. He probably had to hit him twice in exactly the same spot just to yep. to get to any kind of reaction out of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me your water. Hey, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Give me your water. <laughs> give me your water. Oh, man. Uh, what a great yeah, guy. That's, it's pretty interesting... Uh, how this all happens because like we have said ad nauseum Israel have done this over and over again a num wait wait I should set that up better over and over again numbers of times (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say a number of times and I realized number is not the name of the book of the bible it's definitely Um, not number (laughs) they have done this Leviticus of times (laughs) Uh, but they seem to not learn their lesson, but this time they take a bit of a different spin on it. Because now they don't say, would that we had perished back in Egypt. Now they're saying, would that we had perished 
with our brothers before the Lord. So as in been burnt up with fire or swallowed by the earth or died at a plague or something. So they're saying that those three fates are better than slowly dying of thirst in the wilderness, but also they keep forgetting that God will provide for them. However, Jeremy... And no one has... No one has died because they didn't have any water. They've no. only died because they were rebellious. Yeah, and I don't even know if anyone has gone delirious due to lack of water. Probably not. Because that hasn't that hasn't been said anywhere in the tale of their wanderings. It's just that they are very thirsty and they're afraid that they will die of, of thirst. And I've gone for a day without drinking water uh, out in the sun... And it is terribly dehydrating and terrible. Obviously, that's what it means. Uh, but terribly uh, taxing on yeah. the mind. You, you get to the point where you think, I need to drink water, otherwise I'll probably faint. Or I will probably go insane and or die. Or just die. Yeah. Just straight up. Yeah, so these people are probably at that point. But who knows... How long they've actually gone without water. They probably have water skins that they're drinking out of. But it's just been days since they had a refill. So maybe they're just rationing their water. And it's something like from The Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King, the book. Where Sam gives a drop of water to Bilbo. uh, To Bilbo? Why would he do that? To To Frodo. (laughs) Here, Bilbo, have a drop of water. (laughs) I know I'm in Mordor and I'm about to die of thirst, but you can have my drop of water, even though you're in Rivendell. Uh, No, but it's it's that type of thing where they're probably rationing out their water and saying, you can have a mouthful of water uh, twice a day because that's all we have and it doesn't look like there's any any uh, streams nearby which is interesting because obviously up to this point they have been wandering around and around and around seemingly not following a uh, a distinctive path straight to Canaan and we see in chapter 20 that they go way out of their way to go through Edom instead of going north up to Canaan from where they are in the wilderness of Zin. Uh, if you have a map at your disposal. I do. It's in my ESV study Bible, which is great. It's right here on this page that we're we're, re- we're reading out of. Words work for me. Uh, so you remember the Negeb? We remember reading about the Negeb with Abraham. Were they a people group? No, it was southern Canaan. So oh. at, at one point they went down to the Negeb. Uh, I think that was Abraham and Sarah, and there was one of the incidents with the kings, where he's like, she's my sister, which is true, but Classic. also not true. Uh, and so this is a little bit further south, in the wilderness of Zen, probably about half an hour drive, pot, no, probably an hour and a half, two hours drive south of the Negev. How much on a camel? Uh... <laughs> You're the DM for Dungeons and Dragons. You tell me. It's probably three days. Three how days many, on a camel. How many times did they have to roll the dice for that, Jeremy? Seventeen. No, actually, <laughs> if it's how many hours did I say? Three. Three days. Three days. It'd probably be one day, and it'd probably be six rolls of the dice every wow. four hours. All right. Depending on what the characters were doing. 
Words to live your life by. It's only six rolls of the dice away. Um, <laughs> great, yeah. So they go way out of their way through Edom, which was the territory of old mate Esau, who was the rightful heir of the promise of Abraham. However, he sold his birthright to his younger brother uh, for a bowl of stew. Um, we've all been there. And, we really uh, have. I do love a good stew. <laughs> and the last we saw of Esau, he and Jacob were burying their father Isaac after being reunited with the uh, Jacob and his, his whole uh, tribe were following behind him and they were coming up towards Esau and he went, uh, my favourite sons, you get in the back party and everyone else can be in this front party and I'll send a lot of gifts ahead of me. And it ended up being that they reconciled, uh, even though Esau's last words to him before that were, I'm going to kill you, you little snake. You stole my birthright. You stole my life. You're evil and dumb. Uh, I think those Evil were his, and dumb. I think those were his words verbatim. Uh, they reconciled. And it ended up being that Edom went, Edom, Esau went his way and Jacob went his. And their subsequent nations were named Edom and Israel. Um... And here we have a bit of a reunion, do we not? Although, before we get to that, uh, that was all me saying that I don't know what the water sources were like around there, but I'm assuming that Edom had some. So that was probably the the closest source of water, natural source of water, along the way that they were trying to take up north, maybe? Although, in 17 he says, Please let us pass through. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. Oh, there you go. So I think it's more a shortcut so that they don't have to roll more dice to go around it. Mm. Yeah, how many chance encounters can you avoid by going through your brother's territory? Especially because it's the king's highway, so there'd only be bandits. And they... And they also say, if we do drink any water, they'll pay for it. So they're just trying to get through because it's quicker. Yep, and true. And yep. the Edom guy says, highway. nope. And Edom yeah. came out against them with a large army with a strong force. So once again, the cheese comes out. The cheese does indeed come out. But before the cheese comes out, the water comes out of the rock. They finally hit him enough times to get him to hand over his bottle of water. Which is probably sponsored by Apple or something. Um, mm, it's Apple. Apple water. Uh, but it seems as though this action here, Moses striking the rock, has consequences not just for him not being able to enter the promised land, but also for Aaron. Though I would hazard a guess that Aaron was already not going to inherit it because of his rebellion with the golden calf, etc., Yep. Um, and the times that he was a bit of a, a dumb face before that. Um, but Moses seems to ignore the direct command of God uh, outright, just out of sheer anger for, and maybe spite for the people that are continually grumbling. What's your take on that? On Aaron not getting into the promised land? Uh, on Moses' attitude, and maybe Aaron's as well. Moses might be frustrated, and I think that's probably what is behind his refusal to be allowed in the promised land. Like, I don't think he was just like, ha I'm going to hit the rock and he's going to give me some water. 
It was more just like, I hate these people. Smash. And it seems like the Lord specially comes down to tell them both these two things, or this one thing. And so why wasn't Aaron like, hey, nah, just speak to it? And once again, like we talked about last episode, God isn't just a random uh, angry dude. He's a very slow to anger and quick to forgive. And so maybe this was a repeating attitude in Moses. And maybe this happened a few times that God was like, I told you to talk to the rock and you didn't. You hit him. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe Dwayne has a special place in God's heart. And when he hit him, God was like, are you serious? That's Mm -hmm. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Poor Dwayne. He's my fave. He's my boy. So then we've already discussed Edom. So just like them, they wanted a shortcut. We'll just shortcut through past Edom to the death of Aaron, which is quite a huge thing for the people of Israel. Well, at least the people who respect him and honor him as the chosen. Probably not all of the community wept. But it seems like God wanted his death to be a process. So he just didn't lay down and die or he didn't get skewered by a beast. They went up on a mountain and there was this beautiful ceremony of hold, um, handing over the mantle to his son, Eliezer. Eliezer. <laughs> who is important in the story of Samuel, right? Or maybe not. We haven't got there yet. Stop reading ahead. So Moses strips Aaron of his garments and puts them on Eliezer, his son. So as he's going to die, he's nude and his son gets his uh, mantle, <laughs> which is quite important because the the garments were a big part of the design of the temple, the design of the system of redemption, and they had different parts of it mm-hmm. special. And so this is like handing over this leadership, this blessing this influence. Yep. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept yeah. for 30 days. So this is a huge mourning period yeah. for the people, which also shows, I suppose, that they have learnt to respect him maybe, or they do know how much influence and blessing he had. What, what I think, think about that... Is first of all, I'm very glad that they got a drink of water from the waters of Meribah because if they didn't, they wouldn't have had enough tears to weep for 30 days. Oh, um, good point. But secondly, I think this could potentially be a uh, maybe a self pitying attitude. I'm not saying that everyone had the self pitying attitude, but maybe the fact that. Uh, they were weeping for 30 days. On the one hand, there were people that genuinely loved Aaron, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, but I think maybe they were thinking, Moses, so Miriam's already dead, and it seems as though this is only shortly afterwards. Um, but Moses and Aaron were the two guys that were allowed into the tent of meeting. And what I want to talk about with Edom is that. Uh, obviously, we've already gone through that Jacob and Esau had fallings out, but they also reconciled. Um, up to this point, I think there has been some kind of 
encounter with Edom, which may have gone a little bit more favorably for the Israelites. I can't quite remember. Um, but it seems as though this is a definitive point in the relationship between Israel and Edom, where Edom has uh, essentially removed themselves from the reverence of God. So they no longer view Israel favorably like the uh, few generations after Esau would have. Um, so I'm what I'm trying to say here is that there is a broken relationship now between Israel and Edom. And we don't really know how that came to be. It could have just been the fact that Edom was more of a heathen nation and they had idols and they took wives from different nations around the place. So he separated himself from the promise of God. Um, but there has been broken relationship between these two nations and that essentially um, pits Edom against Israel, uh, excluding them from the promise. And there's judgments throughout the minor prophets, yep. especially, I think. Um, I think Amos is fairly... Edom centric, maybe one of them. It's one of the one of the minor prophets is is focusing on uh, the relationship between God and Edom, and judgment for Edom and all that type of thing. So, what do you think about this broken relationship between these two former brothers? I like watching the people of Israel be with God intimately and still rebel. It kind of makes sense that other nations that aren't very intimate with God anymore would be jealous of either everyone and therefore aggressive to everyone or Mm -hmm. at least just jealous of the people who still think they're intimate with God. Yeah. Um, And it seems like that that area of the time had a lot of different tribes that were very aggressive towards each other. And sometimes they'd been united by a bigger leader. And then other times they would just be smaller tribes fighting. And so I'm curious if Edom is just one of those. Or like Australia and New Zealand have this common ancestry almost because we were colonized by the same people but we also have Mm -hmm. this mostly healthy uh cheeky conflict that we think we're better than them and they think they're better than us and And they're obviously wrong and they're obviously wrong because that is a a nation of trash people right and (laughs) uh so what if this is the same like edom and whoever is around them are jealous and suspicious of each other and their um, attitude that the other nations are full of trash people becomes violent. Like, Mm -hmm. we take it out on the sports field, mostly, but these people would take it out on the battlefield to hopefully gain treasure or prestige or influence. And so it may just be that. Like, they have a common heritage, but at the same time, they're very jealous of each other. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now I want to amend what I said earlier. It's mostly Obadiah that focuses on Edom, but there is some things in Amos that, uh, and I think some of the other prophets too, that have judgments for Edom. But Obadiah um, has a number of sections that focus on 
God's judgment of Edom. And I would wager a guess that it pained God considerably to see the deterioration of these two brothers. Definitely. And the nations that came from them. Um, and like you said, it could, could have been jealousy, and I would suggest that it probably was, but it was also probably fear, because uh, if Esau's descendants didn't follow Yahweh, then they would have viewed anyone that did as being of a different team. Um, yeah. Therefore, they would have had the same attitude that all the other nations had, which was, I heard that Yahweh killed Egypt, basically, destroyed it, and now Israel is coming for us, and it's scary. Um, and Israel already defeated, I think, the Moabites, or the Ammonites, or it wouldn't have been the Moabites, I think that's a little too high up on the map. Um, <laughs> Ammonites are too. But point is, there was the battle where Moses had to hold his arms above his head like a Tuscan raider, um, and that was Israel's first victory after coming out of slavery, which was to cement the uh, the fact that uh, God was with them and to strike fear in the hearts of their enemies. And it seems as though Edom has decided that they are to be enemies of Israel. And that's why they didn't say, yeah, you're welcome to go through our nation. Now, I want to draw a small parallel here between this and when David... And his mighty men, his uh, his rebels, are living in Philistine, in Ziklag. Was that in Leviticus? Uh, it's not in Leviticus. I believe it's in First uh, Samuel. It's towards the end. Yeah, it's we're right almost there. The Witch of, en- the Witch of Endor, uh, which is another Star Wars Does the Bible moment. Um, Ewok witchcraft. Uh, but David is in hiding. And he's accumulating an army. And he's living in the uh, Philistinian city of Ziklag. And there is a point where they go out to fight, supposedly with the Philistines, but then they something happens, and uh, while they're away in battle, some other people come in and plunder their city and take their wives and children. And then they hurry back, and God says, you if you pursue them, then nobody will get hurt and you will completely destroy the enemy. Um, and so then there's this whole uh, journey through the center of these the cities of the Philistines um, where they David has instructed them not to stray to the right or the left and there's this big festival going on. Uh, there's lots of people and all these temptations all over the place. To, uh, to ditch <laughs> just to get out and to go wherever they want and do whatever they want because they're fugitives um, in an army in a foreign land they're not welcome and God has instructed them to go directly home or to go directly in pursuit of the enemy or whatever it is but point is uh, they're traveling along the main highway through Philistia and that proves to be the quickest way, definitely. And now I've always said that the wilderness, and especially the wilderness of Zin, I think sounds to me like the uh, the wilderness of Athelion from the Lord of the Rings, where Faramir ends up becoming the, the prince. Um, 
but it's just overgrown with brush, lots of grey plants and dust and dirt. Um, and just heaps of kangaroos. Heaps of kangaroos everywhere. Uh, and it seems to me that God's main motivation in having them go this route was to plunder enemies as they went, defeat them as they went. Um, because they end up going uh, around Edom and up past Moab and then uh, up past Ammon as well and then into Canaan. So there's the route that they take ends up being uh, going through enemy territory in order to get to the promised land as opposed to going straight up to the promised land and then having enemies just across the water who are ready to take you on. Does that make sense? A little bit, but as I'm a visual learner, I have no idea what it looks like. So I'm just imagining (laughs) kangaroos running around and fighting each other. Wow, yeah, fighting kangaroos. Uh, There you go. Um, Yeah, so we... uh, this, I believe, and I was talking to you off air, I believe this is the point where things begin to turn around for the Israelites. Obviously, they had the one encounter that they won uh, way back when, but since then, there's been lots of things that have gone wrong. Lots of internal quarreling, lots of grumbling, complaining, lots of manna eaten, uh, a few manna. diseased quail that killed a lot of people, and some non-diseased quail that didn't kill a lot of people and water coming out of Dwayne the Rock Johnson and lots of things that have happened that seem to have uh, not been very good or it doesn't look like Israel's (laughs) on the up and up is what I'm saying Uh, their trajectory is kind of downward at this point but it seems as though here in Numbers 20 when as soon as Miriam dies and they're in the wilderness of Zin when they're finally taking their final run up to get into the promised land after all these years have passed and uh, Miriam's dead, Aaron dies, uh, there's the passing of the torch to Eleazar the priest and we are not too far away from actually entering the promised land. Uh, And so then, after the death of Aaron, Numbers 21 is all about Arad, or Arad, uh, or A Rod, this, this nation, or A A Rad, A A Rad, uh, being destroyed. So it's the people that live in the Negeb. Uh, they come and want to kill them, but instead God delivers the uh, the people of Israel, and ends up being that A Rad is destroyed. Then there's the whole bronze serpent incident and stuff. So there is some bad stuff still to come. But the fact that they are beginning to take ground and they have uh, the blessings of Balaam, which is going to be really fun to get into. He was the original Shrek. Uh, There is lots of... Because he had a talking donkey. I hope everybody got that. I was trying to Uh, figure out where you're going with that. (laughs) Like, hang on, Shrek doesn't ride a donkey. There's, there's lots and lots of things that are beginning to look a little bit better for the Israelites from here on. There are some things that go badly, but this is kind of the beginning of the, uh, the upward uh, turn yep. in the 
the exponential line that is Israel. Um, at least until they get to the promised land and then everything turns to poo. Uh, which is not another miracle that God does. That's just a <laughs> metaphor. That would be the worst miracle you, every, ever. <laughs> you're like, you're like uh, what's his name? Midas. Uh, the uh, the Greco-Roman god or whatever he was that touched everything that turned to gold. Um, I do remember I only, hearing about that. I only remember him and what his name is because of the Switchfoot song, Faust, Midas and Myself. Because I had to play that song many times for a concert that I was uh, playing bass guitar and singing in. Nice. Um, yeah. So you don't want to be the, the Midas, Midas of, of poo. poo. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. What do you think? Is this the point where things begin to turn around? No. Okay. I think they're still terrible. Wrong. They've still got like 40 <laughs> years of terribleness ahead of them. But I think okay, it's, well, a t- maybe th- it's a momentary It's a momentary turnaround. Right, yeah, they have them all the time. No, uh, it seems to me that at least the idea of blessing the idea of fulfilling the promises of God is beginning to happen here, but there's still a long way until they're actually fulfilled. So long. Does that make sense? Why won't they just get it? I know. Come on, Bumblebee. So it's like, it's like they're on their final lap of a race, but the, the, the final lap is the most treacherous and terrible. Yeah. They just keep falling over and forgetting to take a drink and, they punch something yeah. out and they start bleeding for some reason. Classic yeah, Israel. snakes and something and... Man. Yeah, so we have... We have them making their, making their run at the Promised Land. This is when things... Uh, at least the action begins to ramp up. Whether or not Israel itself is on the up and up, that's yet to be seen. And I am most definitely wrong. About that. No, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> I just have a different perspective. You just have a different perspective on what turning it all around is. I think they don't turn yeah. it around until when Jesus comes back. Um, I guess guess you're right. And then arguably they don't even do that then. Uh, Jeremy, do you have any, any other thoughts about Numbers 20 before we bring this plane to land? Numbers 20 doesn't focus on this, but that last verse in it, that all of the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days, is quite an important thing. I think mourning is so beautiful and mourning is so important for us that Mm -hmm. we should take that seriously. So if any of you have dying or grieving moments in your life currently, you should just take a little step out and grieve and have peace that God will be there with you. Hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, now, I can kind of relate to that. Uh, recently, I was reading a Nicholas Sparks book, um, which is... <laughs> I don't know very, how you're going to manly, this okay? at all. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know how all Nicholas Sparks books are the same, in that there is a love story and there is death? Yeah. And it's the well, worst. Well, I'm reading, yeah, I'm reading this one called Safe Haven, and I'm sure some people out there would have 
either read the book or seen the movie. It was the only book in the house that I hadn't read that I was vaguely interested in reading because a lot of the ones here in this YWAM shared house are things like uh, Encountering the Presence of God and other yeah, things that I'm that. sure are important. But uh, <laughs> just I, I want to turn my brain off and read some fiction before going to sleep. Uh, and I've been reading some great books by Zach Bartles, The Playing Saint and uh, Playing Saint All Souls Day, which are great spiritual thrillers and uh, serial killers and God winning and humans winning. And it's uh, it's lots of fun. But I've been reading this Nicholas Sparks book because it's the only thing I haven't read in the house. And I was getting to know one of the characters at the beginning. And the way that Nicholas Sparks write is just, dismal and pathetic when he's depicting somebody that ha- that has lost someone um, it's just very bleak and sad and he paints it in such a way that me as a very emotional person who gets very immersed in whatever I'm experiencing whether it's a movie or a book or whatever I just couldn't help but feel my heart breaking for this man whose wife had died and he's left with two kids. And I'm going, this is so sad. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm lying in bed. My wife's already asleep. And I'm just there holding back my tears and thinking, I am so... I feel like I will be very, very good at grieving and mourning. But to the point where it's going to be extremely painful when somebody really close to me does die. So we we want to extend our sympathies to those of you out there that are going through a period of mourning and grief. And we also want to acknowledge that it's a good thing. And I'm not trying to trivialize it by trying to relate it to Nicholas Sparks, but it, I was thinking about that recently. And that's what I'm trying to get at here. I was reading Nicholas Sparks about death and I was grieving and it felt good i felt like i was moving forward in my life as well as moving forward in the book that was a digression and i'm sorry why would you be sorry for that all right see you later everyone and if you have Uh, a spatula for a soup then throw it at the window (laughs) totally nailed it (laughs) leave us a rating and a review on itunes that'd be awesome yes please love you guys bye